Thank you for joining us in the copy room, where you get to listen in on thoughtful, vulnerable, and honest conversations among educators who are as fiercely devoted to this profession as you are. My aim is to serve you well, nourishing your teacher's soul so that you can move through your week with just a bit more to offer our kids than you had before you listened. You're working so hard to take care of our kids. My intention for this podcast, ultimately, is to take care of you. I want to thank Dirt Path Publishing, a small independent publishing house dedicated to publishing works for social good, for continuing to support the production of this podcast. With editing and coaching services for writers, these folks know how to have the hard conversations in service to your best work, and they know how to do it with love. Dirt Path Publishing is also proud to announce the release of my new book, Nothing's Missing, A Year of Reckoning, Release, and Remembering Who I Am, written for anyone struggling to release the burdens of perfectionism and the tyranny of shoulds. For more information, go to NicoleLuciani.com. In the meantime, and always, welcome to the copy room. Dr. Misha Mosley is the founder and director of the Black Teacher Project, a nonprofit organization that supports and celebrates Black teachers. Built into her DNA is storyteller, teacher, someone funny enough to do stand-up, while also deep enough to be a person of real service. Misha and I met through a mutual friend who is easily one of the best humans we know, Dr. Tanya Williams. The first time we met was when she and Tanya came to have lunch with me and my family at my house one summer. And from the moment she walked in the door, I felt like I'd known her forever. I'm guessing almost everyone who meets her feels that way. Truly seeing and valuing you from go is one of her superpowers. In this episode, we talk about her coming up in New York, her days as a middle school history teacher in San Francisco, and what she's up to now with the Black Teacher Project the work of her heart that aims to remind black teachers that they belong. They are beautiful and powerful and critical to the education of all our kids. Every child, Black Teacher Project reminds us, deserves a black teacher. This work is the very best way she's found to pay it forward, in honor of those who came before her, in service to those who come after. Misha and her work remind us that there's no such thing as other people's children because we belong to one another. Welcome to Copy Room Conversations. I'm so glad you're here, Misha. I can't even um, explain to you how grateful I am. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. This is awesome. Wow. It's great. So take us back because all of us, everybody's been to school and so everybody has an opinion about school, mm-hmm. right? Um, and how how we were shaped at school as little humans, I think often has an impact on how we view the lens of teaching. Mm-hmm. So uh, share with us a little bit about your growing up and particularly your experience in school and why you became a teacher. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking a lot about it lately. And so it's it started in kindergarten. Um, mm-hmm. My mother could afford one and I don't even know how she paid for it, if she paid for it. One year of private school, Montessori mm-hmm. kindergarten. I went to this mm. like program at this church around the corner. And I don't remember a lot, but I remember feeling free. I remember mm. that 
I got to learn and it was super cool and my teachers were cool and it was fun. And mm. then mm. I got uh, my mother, um, we'll say encouraged, uh, but mm -hmm. told me I was going, she's like, you're gifted and you're going to take this test to prove it. And then you're going to go to these schools. Mm. And so I took the tests and got bused to, from my, black neighborhood to the white neighborhood in one of the white neighborhoods in Brooklyn to go to uh, these gifted and talented programs in these schools. And that did a whole number. I'm still spending thousands of dollars in therapy trying to undo some of that stuff. Wow. Um, it set wow. me up uh, and, and just like the rigor, like I got a, a quality education in how to do well in an inequitable system. That's what I learned how to do well. Like as a little black girl in the 70s and 80s, I learned how to work it and how to let the genius that I have translate to those educational kind of norms. And then I feel like freedom really came when I went to high school. Um, I went to Brooklyn Tech, which is one of the specialized high schools here in New York. You had to take a test to get in. I'm not a good test taker, but mm -hmm. my mother makes me take these tests. And so I'm like, okay, fine, I'll mm -hmm. take them. And it was an engineering, it is an engineering high school. I'm, I'm was never interested in engineering. But mm -hmm. at the time that I went there, it was a third black, a third Asian, and a third a mix of kind of all other races and ethnicities. And mm -hmm. what that did was show me black academic excellence and we're the largest high school in the country. So it's like five to 6,000 students in any given year. Oh my God. My college was smaller wow. than my high school. Um, yeah. but what it meant was anything you were interested in, there was there. We had a handball team. We had a bowling team and understand that, <laughs> that I, is went amazing. To school, I went to school for activities. Like classes yes. were just yes. precursors to after school. That was the warm up act. Yes. Right? Same. Oh my gosh. So true. <laughs> so, yes. So for me, my upbringing of like starting off loving school, having many years of trying to figure out how to conform, but being told I was smart, but just mm. sort of like trying to make it work and then finishing mm -hmm. off where because of the activities, I got to really lean into the things that brought me joy. And I'll say, I really enjoyed a lot of my classes. I was, you know, I, I taught social studies. So I was a history nerd. I was like the, the student assistant for the history office. Like I was that kid where I was like, <laughs> I'll move the textbooks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but I remember, just being inspired to learn and being reminded that people who look like me are smart. And, and mm -hmm. so I think it was many, in many cases, like the bookends of my K-12 experience that inspired me to be a teacher because I want, and still I wanted and still want every young person to feel the, the freedom and the interest and the joy that I felt mm -hmm. in high school. I don't, you don't have to have the same experience but if you can love mm -hmm. learning and be in an a, a affirming environment the way I was, I feel like young people will be all right. Yeah, yeah. That whole idea, and we may have talked about this on the other podcast we were on together, about normalizing joy mm -hmm. in the classroom and really and normalizing love. Those two things, mm -hmm. what we could do in our schools if we could normalize those two things. Um. Now, you became a teacher in what, the, the 19, early 90s? 1995. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, same here. Yeah. That's so funny. God, we have more in common. Every, the more I open my mouth to ask you a question. And you were a teacher in San Francisco, as I remember. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So tell us maybe about those early years of teaching mm-hmm. and, you know, they're so hard. Like what was the hardest lesson you had to learn as a teacher? And then also how teaching strengthened a part of your life, because I'm sure it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the hardest lessons is that you can't control other people. And so let me back up and say that there are lessons that you have to learn multiple times over a lifetime. And so that is one of them. Especially as an Aries who was raised an only child. What do you mean I don't run stuff? I don't control people. What are you talking about? I was a Leo raised as an only child, so I know exactly you me, what you're you talking me, right? about. Yes, 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 yes. Um, <laughs> and it's like, you know, at the time it was like, love students. Let them know how much you love them. And then they'll, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was, oh, one of, one of the teachers in the Black Teacher Project said something. Uh, I'm going to get a little bit mixed up, but essentially she said, I'm no longer building relationships to coerce students. Oh, geez. And so at the time I was taught you build relationships so that students will work for you. So you can get them to, so you can control them. And my room was filled at lunch. We were kicking it. You know, Uh I had like the the old school boombox radio. None of this fancy stuff. Right? It was like the mid nineties. We're having a good old time. (laughs) Nobody's doing my homework. Same. I was like, why why y'all come? You're like, oh, Miss Mosley, you're the bomb. We love you. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't do that paper though. But, <laughs> but, we're but they told me if I was cared about you, you'd do what I wanted you to. Exactly. So wow, that was that's such deep. a key lesson. And then to hear it in a remix years later, mm-hmm. um, broken mm-hmm. down that way, I was like, right, I was prepared to build relationships mm-hmm. to be able to coerce. And mm. once I realized that that control was not there, that was a hard lesson. And then, you know, it's, I feel like one of the things that teaching has done for me in my life is really helped me listen to young people, like really listen, because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm reminded, you know, that thing, as you get older, you see yourself and the young people that you're around. Yes, and I remember yes. older people when I was young and I'm like, oh, okay, fine. And now I'm like, Ooh, I'm <laughs> totally that person. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's a cycle of life. And one of the things that, you get to recognize is that you have to question what you think, you know, when you're talking to young people. And so that's what teaching has helped me do. It's like, especially with history, being a social studies teacher, like, here's the story, here's what happened. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. of course, more things get uncovered. And it's like, Oh, that's not actually the whole story. Oh, actually that's a perspective, Mm -hmm. not a fact. Right. So Mm -hmm. young people Mm -hmm. push you to question what you think, you know, and just, just actually earlier today, I was with a four-year-old trying to mm-hmm. explain what pretentious meant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. I'm a grown so woman. Funny. I know vocabulary, yeah. some basic vocabulary, <laughs> but I realized that like how, you know, if you really know something, are you able to teach it to someone who really wants to learn or even somebody who doesn't mm-hmm. want to learn? And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. young folks push us. They, they're like, is it like this? Or what do you mean by that? Or isn't it true? Mm-hmm. And so being a teacher has helped me really stay humble in what it is I think that I know because history is one of those things 
that keeps getting written and rewritten. The facts that you needed to know when we were coming up, you don't need to know that. Mm. Also, there's an mm. entire world that has occurred yes. since then. Like what <laughs> we never taught past, like really like World War II or or you know, maybe Vietnam. Maybe you got to Vietnam. Yeah. Maybe you got to Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that yeah. was it. It was yeah. a wrap. That was right. It. That was a wrap. And so yeah. when yeah. Like, the internet alone, it's like, how do I explain to a young mm. person that there was life before the internet and it looked like this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the mm-hmm. humility that is involved in teaching when you absolutely know the world is going to be different, you, you have to yes. know that. And if you didn't know the mm-hmm. last two and a half years, it's taught you a little something. Mm, that's so true. Do you think a lot of teachers struggle with that because they're defensive or they perceive a challenge as maybe they don't know it. And I mean, like, what is that dynamic? They get so caught up in taking questions personally. Do you, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? This, mm-hmm. I just, I think about like, like you said, humility is so important to walk into a room with young people who have gifts, right? They're not blank slates that I'm going to just dump all this knowledge into you. They have gifts that exist. And when they ask you a question, like, I'm not sure that that's what happened. You have that moment where you're like, well, let's look. Or you get pissed off, right? Mm -hmm. I I just wonder, I wonder what that is. Like, why people tilt to like, I'm the boss, you're the kid. What is that, do you think? I think it is about your own sense of power. So Margot Okazawa Ray is a mentor of mine. She's one of the um, members of the Combahee River Collective um, black feminist from back in the day. Mm-hmm. Biggest lesson she taught me, you have to learn how to be in control without being controlling. Mm. And I was like, say what? Because, you know, again, control issues. Mm. And so, mm-hmm. and this was just me showing up in a grad student class, trying to like run stuff, yeah. trying to like whatever, right? <laughs> and she was just like very, very calmly, like gave me that gem. And I say mm-hmm. that here because I feel like what comes up for folks is a loss of sense of power, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. w- we take it personally because we're personally attached to the dynamic of hierarchy, mm-hmm. to the power afforded to us by the title of mm-hmm. teacher. Whereas if mm-hmm. we're co-learners, uh, if we're guides, if you come from a distributed leadership model and know that like, as a teacher, I have different responsibilities than you do as a student, but actually we need mm-hmm. each other. This is mutual aid. I can't teach without a student and you can't learn without a teacher. So how mm-hmm. do we co-construct this dance that we're doing? Absent mm-hmm. of that, I default into these, these dominant culture notions of power. And so you doing anything to interrupt that power feels like a personal attack. Because that's what I'm leaning on in this space called the classroom, which I have designed. I feel like I'm controlling. In fact, people have told me it's my job to control it, to manage it. Right. Manage. There's a full on Mm -hmm. class. There are Mm -hmm. people who come in and teach me how to manage the room, right? And when Mm -hmm. you come in and if it looks like I'm not managing it, I get deep. So there's mm-hmm. just a whole mm-hmm. bunch of stuff that I think that goes in that I think the most powerful teachers I've seen are ones who are able to take the relational aspects of teaching 
and put them into structures that support communal harmony. Mm. And, and they create an environment that is balanced in particular ways. Um, but other than that, you're, you know, it, it kicks up your own personal stuff because you're being put yeah. in a, just a false relational um, dynamic, I think. Yeah. Can, do you mind if we detour mm-hmm. a bit? I'm thinking about your experience as a young person in these schools that was um, not a happy one, or at least not a liberated one. Mm-hmm. And, and what you've just explained is this idea of mutual aid. I've never <laughs> heard that before, and I adore it. Um, I, I'm wondering how you negotiated, and this will probably bring us to the Black Teacher Project in a minute, how you negotiated a system as an employee that was deeply oppressive to you as a child. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you navigate that? What, what, what comes with that mm-hmm. in, in your process of becoming an educator? For me, it's about leaning into the moments of liberation um, so mm-hmm. it got tricky, right? So I, I mentioned mm-hmm. I loved high school. I ride hard. Mm-hmm. I just went mm-hmm. to the optometrist yesterday. I don't know how mm-hmm. long appointments are supposed to take, but mine took longer because I found out <laughs> that he also went to Brooklyn Tech, which then meant oh, wow. I, we were just going in on the state of education and yeah. what happened to the school and all these things. And uh-huh. as an educator, I, I remember when I enjoy, what I enjoyed about high school. Like what, what mm-hmm. the condition, what the adults did, what the structures mm-hmm. were. So having a variety of after-school activities allowed me mm-hmm. to have something to look forward to in the day. So when I started mm-hmm. teaching, I was a co-director in the drama club and I coached softball. I founded the softball team mm-hmm. because those mm-hmm. were two areas that like I liked running around and whatever patch of grass they, they call softball fields mm-hmm. in cities. And um, I mean, drama, come on, it's just enough said. Right. So, right. Uh, so for me, there was a little bit of trying to recreate the liberating spaces I had as a young person for my mm-hmm. students. And so anything mm-hmm. else, I as an adult kind of knew I had those spaces with young people where, you know, Maybe relative to if you got the role in the play or relative mm-hmm. to, you know, what position you got to, if, if you were a starter or not, there was a little bit of evaluation, but for the most mm-hmm. part, these were optional things. We were all there because we wanted to be there and we were going to learn something together. We were going to create mm-hmm. an experience together. And so I just leaned mm-hmm. into that. I will also say that teaching social studies, because I was so passionate about history, and the, poli- mm-hmm. the political nature of mm-hmm. just life itself, particularly in the United States. Mm-hmm. Also, I understood that the subject matter had, an, op- had a, an opportunity to upset the setup, if you will, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To, I could, I could be the comedian self, you know, that I am and tell jokes but students also knew that I would I would sit with them and, and be with them as they cried and be tender. And, you know, mm-hmm. I got to tell this quick story just as a way that I think Please. like vulnerability is important to show up. So it's yes. so it's the it's the you know, it's the 90s. Right. So there's no cell phones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm teaching. This is the, the era where we're confiscating pagers. We're like, don't have your pager. Don't yes. have your pager. <laughs> 
So my it's pager, the same story. My pager goes off. I of forgot course. to turn it off. My pager goes off. It's my mother. It's the middle of the mm. teaching day. And I have to say like, hey, y'all, I'm frant- I'm sorry. My mother's paging me. She knows I'm teaching. So I'm a little bit concerned. I'm going to call her back. And I know that this is all the way not okay, blah, blah. And my students are like, call her back because she's in New York. Why is she mm-hmm. calling you now, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. something had happened on the soap operas that felt very important for her to tell me at that time. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but the drama of how it was playing out with my students, they're on pins and needles. They're like, is your mom okay? Oh. Is everything okay? And I'm yes. just like, y'all, oh I just I have to tell you the truth right now about what's happening, right? Oh, my God. But- as oppressive as the system was, it was those moments of realness with my students. And they busted out laughing. And oh, trust me, they gave it to yes. me the whole rest of the year. <laughs> you want to give your mama my pager number, Miss Mosley? <laughs> it's time for Young and the Restless. Like all of the oh, everything. Um, but what, you know, I, what it did was it, it allowed them to see me as human. And the oppression yes. that we were both experiencing, we that we all were experiencing, we, we got to create a little bit of a cocoon in the mm. classroom and just kind of mm. be real and connect with one another, you know? And the same mm. is true when I w- came out of the closet. I was nervous about coming out to them. Because again, mm. the gay 90s, 90s were a little different yes. than now, right? Yes, um, and as a sure. Black woman coming out, that was a whole mm. thing, teaching mostly Black and Brown students. I wasn't really clear about how that would land for folks. So they're just like taking mm-hmm. advantages, uh, taking advantage of the moments to be real with young people mm-hmm. and not real mm-hmm. messy. Like young people don't need all your burdens. No. They don't need to know all your business, but yes, yes. But real so that when they're real, you, you there's been a little bit of give and take. There is that co-construction. So that's, mm-hmm. that's what helped me mm-hmm. get through. That's so beautiful. And and I, I at the time of our recording, this is the week that we've lost bell hooks. Mm-hmm. And and it reminds me what you're describing about what she said, and I don't remember the exact quote at all, but the classroom being such a sacred space mm-hmm. for this work. Yeah. And and that story reminds me so deeply of of her and um what she believed about teaching to transgress. It's just such a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's a huge loss for us. Um, So when you think back to the teachers you had who influenced your growing up, what do you think they would say about your evolution as an educator? Because you've had a a little bit of a wandering path, right? (laughs) Yeah. A little bit of a wandering path. So tell me about some teachers who really impacted you in important ways and and what you think they might think about this thing that you're working or that you founded called the Black Teacher Project. Well, I have to start with Miss Khan, fifth grade. Okay. Um, she's, she's, she is the teacher who taught me about love and compassion. I always loved her class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're supposed to learn in fifth grade, but whatever she was teaching, I was trying to learn. And, <laughs> you know, and again, again, this is one of those like gifted and talented classes. So we had all the perks and things. Mm-hmm. I remember we had a business, an engraving business where we made like name plates and keychains and things like, and we had a little engraver in class. Wow. So, and we would like, I don't know what we were fundraising for, but 
I just remember that tactile piece and then being able to make stuff that you can keep and gift to others. Like I saw all that was awesome. Mm. That year we also did Mary Poppins as a school play. And (laughs) whatever, the play happened. I don't know what role I played, but at the party at the end, we were dancing to Michael Jackson, want to be starting something to how to get over to low to get under. When I went low to get under, my plant, my pants split. Oh, shit. And Mrs. <laughs> Khan gave me the skirt from Mary Poppins to wear while she sewed up my pants God in the middle her. of the party. Oh, my God. Like, she didn't embarrass me. Like, nobody really knew what was happening. No. She was like, costume time. And so I put on the skirt and somebody else put on a hat. Like, she just, like, made it happen. Oh. And I remember, because I was devastated. I was just like, this is awful. She's like, it's fine, it's fine. And so I to the, like, I just remember that so clearly because I just knew that, I already knew that she loved me and I always wanted to do well mm-hmm. for her. But in that moment, the compassion she showed and just like the, yes. and then she just like fixed it. And then my pants were fine. And then I got to like go home on the school bus and not be embarrassed. Um, she allowed you your dignity. Yes. Right. Yes. And it was love. This goes back to what you said earlier about that. What that teacher said. She wasn't loving you to manipulate you. Right. She was just loving. Exactly. You. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And you know, and this is in a context. This is the white Jewish woman. There were maybe five of us in a class of twenty-five who were students of color, mostly white class, mostly mm-hmm. white school. You know, so like when we talk yeah. about how race shows up in schools how folks are treated. I'm like, I grew up in New York City public schools in the 70s and 80s. The majority of my teachers were white Jewish women. And there mm-hmm. were some who were about it and there were others who were not. And so mm-hmm. how you come into the world and how you are racialized and and ethn- and your ethnicity and your spiritual, all that is one mm-hmm. thing. But how you decide to tap into your humanity and connect with others' humanity is absolutely your choice. So I've watched this, people with the same demographics behave drastically differently. Cut mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Um, high school. Miss mm-hmm. Cohen, um, who is my biology teacher. And I mean, I, I just so much of just reminding me that I could do it. You know, as much as I loved high school, I was a mess freshman year. I don't want to go to that school. I want to go to this other school. I cut classes. Mm-hmm. I was just not feeling it, right? Mm-hmm. And she wouldn't mm-hmm. let me fail. She would not let mm-hmm. me get lost. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my senior year of high school, I came out. She's a lesbian. I knew that I could come out to her. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just was lovely and amazing and super supportive. And... I got a chance to reconnect with her most recently this past summer, actually. Um, Oh my God. And so she's been following the black teacher project and she's really, she's happy about it. She's happy to see, you know, she was happy when I became a teacher. Um, Mm -hmm. And can, you know, what I, what I came to realize as we spoke more as adults is that Mm -hmm. like the, the, the politics that we hold and that we understand differ over time. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that she, um, 
would focus on race the way I focus on race. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think she was mm-hmm. like, oh, hey, little black girl, let me love you up because you're a poor little black girl. Mm-hmm. Who needs to know. That wasn't mm-hmm. how she was rolling. She was just like, mm-hmm. oh, you do you just do you, I'm just going to love you because I do. Right. And it's not mm-hmm. to say that she's colorblind, mm-hmm. but I think that, you know, we we we. Where you go left of center, progressive, radical, I might be a little bit more left. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in mm-hmm. talking about the politics of the Black Teacher Project, some things resonate, some things don't. Mm-hmm. But what she knows is that she played a core part in that because yes. how she treated me taught me how to teach. I had her as yes. a student my freshman year. She was never my teacher again, but she has always mm-hmm. been my teacher. Yes, I love those people. I love those people. They're like enduring figures in your life, right? Yeah. And, and you know, when I think about the work you do, and I'm going to ask you about it in a second with the Black Teacher Project and the founding of it and the just, you know, mm-hmm. the the fruition that it's come to you think about miss Khan and miss cohen and my guess is their influence on you plays out in how you serve our teachers mm-hmm. through that project this notion of human dignity of love of no i'm not going to let you fail of recognizing genius right all of these things it's like ripples of their legacy that you're carrying forward i would imagine that's how i would feel mm-hmm. if i was them watching you yeah, it's how it's how I feel. And, you know, it's rare. I, I do everything I can. If a teacher calls me, mm-hmm. whatever time and attention you need, even if I can't give mm-hmm. it in that moment, I'll call you back. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that may be the difference in your whole experience of your day, of your week, right? Like, it's not just about helping you make it through so you can stay in the classroom. It's like, how are you right. a human being? Because as someone who was not in the classroom very long, clearly I had a deep impact on me. And I'm trying to figure mm-hmm. out, I keep trying to figure out how to get back into the classroom in a way that's authentic. And, you know, all the teachers are like, we should start a school. And I'm like, no, no, it's not what I, I I've already started <laughs> the thing I'm going to start. Yeah. But I'm also in a place of missing the truth that young people have to offer and the lessons that young people have to offer. I think one of the challenges of working in the adult space is that you're trying to heal folks that often have, you know, decades of hurt and harm. Whereas with young Mm -hmm. folks, you can be that healing space for them as they're growing. And so, you know, it's like, yeah, you might be going through some stuff, but you know that there's always a safe space here as opposed to that safe space also having to help you navigate just adulting as, as, as people call it. Totally, totally. And, and two, I think there's something I just miss learning from kids, right? You know, I've been, I've been out of the classroom now, gosh, I don't know, four years, maybe five. Um, and I just miss talking to kids mm-hmm. at break. I miss talking about the music that they listen to. I miss talking about their clothes. I miss talking about their cousins. You know, everybody's always got a cousin. They're going to tell you a little <laughs> story about the cousin. I just, I just, the, the vibrance. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, and as someone who's deeply introverted, it was a very draining experience. And I taught for 20 years. Um, and I, I like to say for 20 years, I went to bed at 745 because I just <laughs> was so exhausted by my day. Right. Um, and, and when I think about teaching today and how much harder it is uh, than it was when we were coming up, mm-hmm. um, 
I think what you've just said here, the importance of let's just try to steal through, let's attend to our humanity mm-hmm. so that we can be of service. That distinction is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so you decided to leave the classroom. So what, what's the road from the classroom to the Black Teacher Project? What did that look like? Yeah, so it looked like going to grad school um, from mm-hmm. teaching to really try to get, because I went from undergrad, I got my credential in undergrad and then to the classroom. And I just mm-hmm. wanted a perspective on education. Why are all the kids in, they're not all the black kids sitting in the cafeteria. They're all the black kids sitting in my classroom at lunch. Yeah. <laughs> why, yeah. Why, yeah. How do I have these strong relationships with students and colleagues, yet I'm not getting the results I wanted to see? And so I thought mm-hmm. grad school would help me understand that. Um, mm-hmm. It did not fully, mm-hmm. but... Mm-hmm. Uh, it did give me a different perspective on the world. So I went to grad school, um, got a PhD in education so that I could do whatever was next. And I wasn't sure what that was. I just knew that having a fancy degree would increase the likelihood that people would listen to me. Listen. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, just being a black woman, I, I growing up when I grew up, one of the things that I was taught is like that those types of things give you legitimacy, right? Like there are mm-hmm. a couple ways to get that. And that was one of them. Mm-hmm. But after I graduated, I knew I didn't want to go into the academy. So I basically, you know, mm-hmm. I tell people I asked for money for graduation so I could pay my rent. I was like, I don't want not nary a present that doesn't come in the form of cash. <laughs> 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 and I made it all the way till October <laughs> from May. Uh-huh. And then I was like, yeah, I don't want any time to get a job. <laughs> um, and so I started working, you know, throughout grad school, most of my, my career, I've been very interested in professional development. So I started working with what was mm-hmm. then the Coalition of Equitable Schools or uh, part of the Coalition mm-hmm. of Essential Schools, Small Schools Movement, Ted Sizer, Debbie Meyer, mm-hmm. the Bay Area chapter, helped to open mm-hmm. a bunch of small schools in the Bay Area. Um, but as we were opening the schools, I was watching us reproducing the same thing. And I was like, ah, this isn't quite it. What are we doing? I've, you know, we're opening these yeah. schools. It feels good. But as I was interacting with young people, I just felt like it was the same thing, but with different faces and more people of color leading, but not like we're in this inequitable system. Yeah. Yeah. I was also, uh, at the time, I've always had a kind of second calling in comedy and mm-hmm. performance. And so mm-hmm. I was always doing that throughout grad school and, and throughout working um, at the coalition. And I had a one woman show called Where My Girl's At, which was a comedy about black lesbians that had gotten some traction. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I was like, well, I've been touring it around as best I can from the Bay. It's time to move to New York, take a break mm-hmm. from education and put my full energy into comedy and touring the show. So that was a definite mm-hmm. like, 2007, Mm. like pause for the cause for Mm -hmm. about two years, I was out of education um, Mm. and doing comedy. Now at the time I thought I was making it, it turns out I was living off of my savings because I'd saved up to buy a house in 2007. (laughs) And I don't know if you remember anything about mortgages in 2007. Yes, Yes, I do. I did not buy a house, but I did uh, Mm -hmm. uh, make my way into some comedy clubs. So then in 2009, I started working at the Posse Foundation, which was a, is a college access program. That, what, I, what was so important about that time, along with meeting like wonderful folks, 
um, who've become lifelong friends, is that I understood our K-12 fixation with getting kids into college is not going to cut it. Because what was happening, what I saw firsthand, were young people who were at the top of their game in high school go into college Mm -hmm. and flunk out because they Mm -hmm. weren't actually taught the skills to navigate learning in that environment, right? So either Mm -hmm. you find your love of learning and figure out how to Mm -hmm. translate it, or you understand the game that is education in this country and you master how to play that game. You got to get one of the two or both. And so if you Mm -hmm. just understand compliance, you're not actually going to make it all the way through because there's too much independent motivation and independent work and 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 in many cases, independent navigation that's necessary. And so that was Mm -hmm. super helpful for me because then it gave me a different perspective on what what our work was in K-12. It's not just, Mm -hmm. when we say college ready, first of all, not everyone's going to college. Right. Also, the world does not end if you don't go to college. The world does not end if you don't finish college in four years. The overwhelming majority of college graduates do not graduate in four years. But we don't talk about that because we have this fixation on this like mythical four-year go away. You know, everyone's waving goodbye and crying. Like, no, people go to night school. People go all different kinds of ways of making it happen. So, um, but while I was doing that and doing comedy and even after Posse, I started consulting and doing a lot of work in what we now call diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I was always like watching what was going on with the black people in my sessions. How you doing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How's this landing mm-hmm. for you? What's going on in your environment? And there was always mm-hmm. this thing where at lunch or during the break, this is in the old world when we used to do sessions in person, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, you yes. know, people would come up to you or they'd stay afterwards. And so I, I, and my dissertation was about black teachers. So that, that, mm-hmm intellectualization of the of a black teacher experience was already there but as i was mm-hmm. engaged in professional development i realized i'm talking to the whole room and there's some things i just want to say to the black teachers in this room because i don't want folks mm-hmm. to make the same mistakes i did so i was mm-hmm. consulting and i ran into a former student of mine belinda bellinger who mm-hmm. uh i taught in the mid late 90s at that point and mm-hmm. she was teaching in San Francisco where she grew up and was thinking about leaving. And many of the push out mm-hmm. factors that impacted me were impacting her. And I did not want what happened to me to happen to her. So I started to take all the things I'd learned over the years and said, I need to do something just for black teachers. And so my goal was about supporting her and staying in the classroom and supporting other mm-hmm. teachers like her to not only stay in the classroom, but to thrive. And so I kind of took the best mm -hmm. of what I knew and created the Black Teacher Project, which is uh, an offering of professional development for Black teachers in Black racial affinity. Um, Prior to the pandemic, it was mostly led by Black teachers. Now it's mostly led by our staff, but we're rebalancing so that we can, because, you know, as much as Black teachers want to lead stuff, they're like, yo, we're barely hanging on. So Give it, right. Yes. And yes. so we're now we're trying to strike this balance of like, okay, how do we still give you um, this resource, but also not tax folks too much? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. but now, you know, we've also really shifted our focus um, 
to really be one where we're looking at leadership and healing. How do we how do we heal from the impacts of oppression, internalized and otherwise? And how do we actually lead the change we want to see in schools? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, you know, it's it's so funny. I I think about how you and Mark Salinas, who used mm-hmm. to teach together, mm-hmm. and now he's at the National Equity Project, right? And mm-hmm. you are with Black Teacher which Project, is, which is and, part of the National the, Equity oh, Project. Yeah, we're all together. Now. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Yeah, it's all. Is it all a, like? It's a common community. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes, the Black Teacher Project is a program of National Equity Project now. So. Oh, I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, so, oh, so that's great. National Equity Project used to be Basie's, where I worked after grad school. So Mark and okay. I talked together. And then when I let, when I finished grad school, I was like, where's everyone? Mark was there yes. and LaShawn was there. I was like, well, what's uh-huh. this organization? All my people <laughs> are there. And so I, I started. And then when I left in 2007, I stayed connected. And in 2015, when I came back with this idea, I said, hey, y'all, I miss you. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to come back and do exactly the work that you're doing now, but I do have this idea that I would love to incubate this. You all are the only people I really trust to help me think mm-hmm. through what this could be. Um, mm-hmm. And so over the years, so National Equity Project was our fiscal sponsor in the beginning. So this is also the, mm-hmm. the, the frustrating part about late, late stage capitalism and nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The hoops you have to jump through to be able to do the work. Are you a program in a district? Are you a program in a nonprofit? Are you a community org that's independent? Like all the ways you think about how to structure an entity to be able to get the work done. For me, it was mm-hmm. just about the people. I'm like, I trust yeah. this group of people. So what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Oh, nonprofit? Yeah. Okay, that's what we're doing. I trust you <laughs> Yeah. And so, um, and then over the years, it was like, well, let's just become part of National Equity Project because our our capacity will increase and our ability to actually impact more teachers shifts mm-hmm. because now instead of being a program that's six years old, we're actually mm-hmm. part of a program that's 31 years old. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a whole mm-hmm. different set of possibilities that arise and a mm-hmm. you know, whole bunch more that's complicated and, you know, challenging at times. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's not easy, but it's important to me to get out of the realm of feeling like we're going to do things alone. Yeah. Even when I talk about being the founder, you know, if I could turn the clock back, I would have like kept it quiet until I could have found a co-founder. You know, I felt I had to go then because I just felt the push, but Mm -hmm. I'm watching organizations like Girl Trek and other places Mm -hmm. where they're, two founders and and just what you learn and working in collaboration. So I'm getting all that stuff now uh, as being part mm-hmm, of NEP. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I've known Mark since, uh, since 1995. And so great. It's beautiful. It says so much about relationships between and among teachers and how deeply powerful they are. Mm-hmm. And how, I mean, I could find someone who I taught with in 1995 and be instantly like we were right back in that moment, mm-hmm. right? Because there's just, there's something like in your DNA that shifts and connects to one another. And and it makes me think about this idea of the collective mm-hmm. and how important it is 
to really like deeply recognize how much we belong to one another because we cannot serve our kids as parties of one. We just can't, mm-hmm. nor can we serve our teachers as a party of one, right? So when you think about the Black Teacher Project and creating community and belonging, why do you think, what does the Black Teacher Project do for folks with that notion of belonging, of community, mm-hmm. of the collective? What does it offer folks? Because teachers are so damn tired at the end of the day. And now I have to go to 19th Street and right. you know go up the, that elevator and sit in some meetings. What, what's going to make me want to do that? Mm-hmm. What does the Black Teacher Project offer? Liberation. I mean, you know, I, I think for Black folks, education and learning was always connected to freedom and liberation. Like, you know, mm. it's not that long ago that it was illegal for us to read. Like we just, right. our, the, the challenge of us being so ahistorical or feeling like, you know, I'm like, hey, the country's not that old. And then yes. within that frame, it's just this stuff, you know, a lot happened in the second yeah. half of the 20th century. It's a little distorting, <laughs> right? <Yes. laughs> but actually, kind of that's not up. a long time that those things yeah, happened. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And so f- for us, like part of what we're slowly doing is decoupling the relationship between school and capitalism, right? And mm-hmm. so if we understand that public schools were created to really support the factory model, right? Mm-hmm. Who are the owners? Who are the managers? Who are the workers? Um, when we interrupt that notion and return mm-hmm. to education as a means of liberation, that's attractive to folks. And so folks want to understand how do I, how do I build relationships with young people to help them be free instead of coerce them into the factory? Do this so you can go to college, so you can get a good job. That's what my generation, that's what our generation was taught. And our generation actually proved that false. Whereas generations after us are like, uh, actually, no, (laughs) you all have all the student debt and you're suffering. I don't want to suffer. Yes. Life should be different, right. right? And so with the access of information being what it is now, coming together for learning, professional learning or otherwise, you need something besides just the information because I can yes. Google it. Mm-hmm. In fact, right. I can Google the session where the people did the activities. I can have yes. an avatar that does the activity on my behalf. Yeah, so, right, right like right. The, you get into this, the... the not FTEs, the F, there's an F. NTFs, NFTs. NTFs, yes, yes. The things. Whatever they are, yes. In the virtual world. <laughs> that's right? supposed to be art, but it's not really art. It's very well, confusing. Well, but it's the art, but also that's starting to come into professional development. Yeah, where folks, no, it's I promise not. you, I was just talking to somebody about this a couple months ago, um, and they're like, just this idea that like, oh, I need to go to an implicit bias training. Instead of going live, I'll go in the virtual world for the basics. And then when I'm ready for the like real life version, I'll pop into the real life after doing some of the basic virtual so that I don't harm anybody. That's the logic model. Listen, don't get me started. I I don't know enough about it to even have like a whole bunch of thoughts. I mostly have feelings. And I know my feelings have to deal with with change, but that's what I mean about being Mm -hmm. humble enough to know there's a whole other world happening and we can resist this change we can get into it Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. and understand it so for me i understand the power of gathering 
And so when we gather people, we gather folks in a particular way with a with a particular style that's not for everyone. Not everybody likes it. Not every Black person mm-hmm. loves BTP. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what makes us attractive is that we're, if we're going to have a conversation about culturally responsive pedagogy, mm-hmm. we're having it from a lens of Black teachers, which means we have to deal mm-hmm. with the fact that your Black culture may be different than your students' Black culture. Because you didn't grow up the way they're growing up. You didn't have the relationships with your parents that they have with their parents and their community. That may translate to, I would never talk to my mother that way. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. But they are. And because your mm-hmm. melanin looks similar enough, everybody thinks that you're just connected. Right? Yeah. You yeah, found yeah. success in this inequitable system. And if you're not careful, you will coerce students into behaving in the same ways you did in the name of success. Mm-hmm even though you know how much it harmed you. If you're yes, not careful, yes. you do the same. So that's part of what yes. we talk about. And we can't have those conversations in front of everybody. We, right, that is, right, that is right, an affinity-based right. conversation. And what I have found yes. is that, I remember I was um, in a professional development and I was with teachers of color. And the group mm-hmm. asked to break up into subgroups. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, again, you don't control everything. I have my little agenda. Mm-hmm. I have, I had a time. <laughs> you know, I, had time. I was ready to, we, this is when we were in person. So I was like, oh, we're going to break up in these groups. And they're like, yeah, no, we're not doing yeah. any of that. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. Oh, but what happened yeah. was when Asian teachers got to actually have their own group, they got to talk mm-hmm. about the shame that was associated with choosing to be a teacher because in many of their cultures, you did not go to college to become a teacher. You didn't come to the United States. Many of them were children of immigrants. Their parents did not come Mm -hmm. to the United States for them to go to college to become a teacher, science, math, or otherwise. And so the vulnerability that they experienced with one another was very Mm -hmm. different than what was happening in the Latinx group, than was happening Mm -hmm. in the black group, than was happening in the multiracial group, right? Like, so, Mm I, like that was one of those experiences where I really, this is pre-Black Teacher Project, but that's when I understood mm-hmm. the power of affinity because there, are, there is harm that needs to be healed that mm-hmm. we need to be in affinity to heal. Sometimes that's racial affinity, ethnic affinity. Sometimes there may be other kinds of affinity, but mm-hmm. there's all kinds of harm that needs to be healed. And as a result, all kinds mm-hmm. of affinity opportunities to do that. Mm, mm. Is there a, um, when you think about this, the healing of a particular affinity, regardless of what that affinity may be, is there a kind of a returning that happens? Like Mm -hmm. you're almost peeling back all of the things that's been put on so you can return to the ancestral greatness, mm-hmm. the, 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 who I am at my core, right? Is that part of the healing is this notion of getting back in touch with who came before you mm-hmm. before all of this? Um, is there, is there an element of that that comes with it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, mm-hmm. because this country is so a historical and we actually don't know mm-hmm. how to treat our elders well, you know, right. COVID has taught us like, hey, we really have trouble taking care of elders and babies, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That reaching back to the end and understanding our lineage Mm -hmm. is so important. When I think about white affinity groups, um, because this comes up a lot, right? Well, what about the white Mm -hmm. teacher project? I'm like, 
there should be one and it should be a white anti-racist mm-hmm. teacher pride. Let's be clear. Don't just yes. show up white, just renegade in the world, yeah. but like have a purpose <laughs> right. to make it anti-racist. <laughs> you might have to add a little specificity to that. Yeah. But what gets yeah. lost, it, like, do people understand the legacy of white co-conspirators who were fighting for their own liberation, understanding it, like it's, it's, it's not just John Brown. Like, I feel like the only white right. person you ever hear about actually being about that life for real. Maybe the Grimke sisters. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. You better ask somebody and dig a little bit deeper on that, right? Yeah. 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 So yeah. Yeah. Just this notion of all of that, again, in that, that, that mid to late 20th century resistance, there was a lot of coalition building. How can you build coalitions? You can only really build coalitions when you have done some work as an entity. Now this entity can yes. reach a quote unquote across the aisle to connect mm-hmm. with another. So we don't mm-hmm. think about coalition building as coming from affinity, but it is, you need mm-hmm. affinity mm-hmm. and then you build coalitions. Mm-hmm. And we saw that happening, but that history is being erased. So to me, thinking about going back to the, to the ancestors and the folks who came before is understanding how did people get right in and of themselves and with one yes. another, and then how did they reach across differences to be able to find yeah. that common humanity? It's something my godfather taught me from a very young age um, and was always very happy when he would meet my friends because we were like a Benetton ad. I know I'm dating myself, but I know you will feel me on that when I I know that. exactly you know what, what you're talking about. <laughs> um, because, be, because it wasn't just like, oh, we're multicultural just to be multicultural. There was there right. was something like, I have done the work to know who I am. So when I come to you to share, I actually have an offering as opposed to us just living into the master narrative of who we're supposed yes. to be. Oh Without that affinity yes. work, that's what... So when people are like, oh, look, we have so many different people represented on our committee. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, yeah. yeah. And if you're all like steeped in your internalized depression, you're just acting out the roles that have been yes. assigned. Right. Because not only do you have an offering, but you have an ability to receive. Yes. Right. I know myself. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I, I always tell my husband who's a little bit like a survivalist, like mm-hmm. we have, we live in Alameda, right? So mm-hmm. he's got a boat in case the bridges fall, like the bridges that, I mean, you could swim across <laughs> in like five seconds. Right. But I always say, like, I'm good with God. Take care of the kids. I'm yeah. good with God, right? But there, And I say that to say, I'm good with me. Mm-hmm. I've done my work. The work will always continue. I know who I am. Right. And in offering who I am, I can receive who you are. Mm. And I don't have to get defensive about it. Mm. Because the humanity in me sees the humanity in you. And together, we're going to create something beautiful, as yes. opposed to just standing next to each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, yeah. a, there's, a, there's a difference. So, yeah, no, I feel well, that and, so and, much. And, I really appreciate that. And I will, I'll just say that this is part of the changes that we're up to in the Black Teacher Project and, and other like-minded mm-hmm. groups is having our systems. And it's a question. Can you create humanistic systems? Because... Mm-hmm. When we come into education, the system does not the, the, does not allow us to actually connect in those human ways, right? If we look at how right. t- one of our most precious resources is time, 
So if you just look yes. at how time is allocated in education and how so many of us who were prepared in the 20th century fight to hold on to time looking the same for this generation, when yes. in fact, this last year for so many of distance learning has shown us not everybody needs the same thing. No. Not, and it's not even a fight for like, oh, you need to have more expansive time and slow it down. Like, I believe that's true. I also know what it's like to be thoroughly bored in a class. Because you've got it. I was like, I got, can I, yeah. can I learn this other thing now? Or can I at least go do something yeah. else? And, right? Yes. And I also know what yes. it's like to be completely lost. And I'm like, whoop, slow your, I'm the queen of being in a session. I'm like, can you please repeat that? Can you say it a different way? Because I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, I'm here to yeah. learn. And do you actually care about me learning? Or are you just trying to like go through your script? But all, of, yes. all mm -hmm. of that interaction and negotiation is a different way of thinking about time instead of just plopping in humans to play a role. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of those power dynamics, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. as we work with black teachers to reimagine schools as places of liberated learning. That's our, that's our mission. Mm -hmm. We think about what it means for them to have experiences of liberated learning. So we design our professional development. And it's one of the questions we ask on every evaluation. Did, did this feel like a liberating experience? And if so, why? Because we've got to, mm -hmm. It, you know, we have to experience it ourselves in order to actually create it for young people. Otherwise, it's all mm -hmm. theoretical. You're just using a bunch of words and putting it on a website. Yeah. That's not doing yeah. nothing. Yeah. And don't you think the importance of explicitly naming, how mm -hmm. important that is? I felt liberated because of X. Right. Right. And now I have something tangible that I can lift and bring over to my classroom and place down. Exactly. It's so powerful to be able to explicitly name something. Mm -hmm. I, I, I appreciate that you take the time to ask that question. And then if, if the answer is no, right, then you've got some work to do. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. This has been such a good conversation. I'm going to bring us to our last three questions, which okay. are questions we ask everybody um, on, on the podcast. Yes. Um, I can't wait to hear this question. I can't wait to hear your answer to this question. <laughs> You're walking into what you intend to be a great day of teaching. Mm -hmm. What is your walk-up song? I have been thinking about this, and this is this is this is it's not tough, right? It's really tough. Yes. How about what would be one walk-up song yeah, instead I mean, of the walk-up song? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's where I have to go with it, and um. I gotta say, there's there. It's it's somewhere between like any Fela Kuti song, um, mm -hmm. but what's really resonating with me in my head is Formation by Beyonce. Oh, I love that song. And part of it, just to be clear, it's not like a regimented like military formation. It's no. more like birds, and you know how mm -hmm. like there's like a bird that's that's flying point, and then they get tired mm -hmm. and they and they move yes. and then someone else. So it's like. Let's get in formation. There's a dance that occurs where we understand in this moment, what is the formation that we need? And so when I think about yes. walking to a powerful day of teaching, it's like, what's going on today? What just happened yeah. in the world? What's happened in this moment? What's on the agenda for us to like learn together? And then mm -hmm. what do we need? 
who's going to be on point, who's right. struggling and needs somebody to hang back. I mean, I, that's a beautiful metaphor. I love it. Yeah. So when I think about schools, you know, everybody thinks they've got the magic bullet, right? Mm-hmm. And, and part of that, I think, is the capitalism piece that you're speaking of and how when there's a dollar to be made, you know, that's the driver, not our humanity. But I, and I'm sure you agree with me that it's really going to take all of us living into our gifts mm-hmm. to be able to put our gift on the table with everybody else's gift and see how this puzzle is going to be put together. Mm-hmm. Because we keep throwing darts or I don't know, I'm going to mix a million metaphors. I was a social <laughs> studies teacher too. So the English <laughs> teachers are like, what the hell are you right. doing? But the, the point is like, we need to be able to explicitly name, this is my gift. This mm-hmm. is what I'm bringing to the table. How does it fit with yours? So when you think about your gift, what what would you say that is? Mm-hmm. There, there, are, uh, there are three that come to mind. One is gathering. Mm-hmm. I love a party. This pandemic is weighing mm-hmm. me down for lots of reasons. <laughs> but I'm the person that I was like, yes, let's all pack in there and sit on the floor and stand and all mm-hmm. that. Um, and part of that, the second is bridge building. So, you know, I have friends who, who joke that I will introduce them 20 times. And they're like, you introduced us 15 years ago. We know each other. And I'm like, I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure. Yeah, but yeah. because I am blessed to know different people from, from multiple communities, mm-hmm. I know that the only way we're going to be free is if we come together. So I know that mm-hmm. part of my gift is gathering and building those bridges. And then the last mm-hmm. one is humor. I got jokes, right? Like mm-hmm. I often mm-hmm. use it to, to, to create space for hard learning and sometimes just to, to release emotion. Um, yeah. But I, I definitely feel like when I'm gathering folks, when I'm helping to make connections and build bridges, and when I'm helping people laugh, I feel like yeah. um, spirit is moving through me and I'm doing what God asked me to do by like creating That's me. That's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I, I read somewhere somebody talked about laughter is really the, one of the most vulnerable things mm-hmm. that you can do Oh yeah. when you let down your guard and like really have a belly laugh with someone and, and how important it is for people in our lives to help us have that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it really allows the learning to happen because your guard's down. Absolutely. It's so great. Absolutely. Okay. So let's think of ourselves back. You were at Thurgood Marshall. Is that yes. where you were? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So think about the copy room at Thurgood Marshall. And, uh, you know, I'm running my copies and you're punching your holes and you're about to leave and we're going to we're going to go to first period. What are you going to say to everybody in the room on your way out? And it can be funny or serious or lighthearted mm-hmm. or conceptual or practical. Mm-hmm. What are you going to say to us to help us have a good day? Every young person who decided to show up today has a chance mm-hmm. to experience your truth and your love. Give them both. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's a perfect way to end. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for sharing your precious time with us. My hope is it gave you some respite from your worries and some time to remember that we belong to one another and that there's no such thing as other people's children. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. These three things make a big difference in our ability to connect teachers to one another in service to each other and our kids. We also want to thank Dirt Path Publishing for partnering with us on this podcast. The mission of Dirt Path is to publish work for social good. They are proud to include copy room conversations under that banner. 
For more information on coaching and editing services, or if you have a book you want to publish that you know will serve the greater good, visit dirtpathpublishing.com.